Hello, and you're very welcome. James Kenny here, and this is my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, The Evolution of the Irish from Biblical Times. This is episode 41, and it's about 1969 in Northern Ireland, when John Hume and others took to politics. And it also includes the massacres of Ballymurphy and the Bogside. I hope you like this and that you will share it with others on social media. You can become a patron of this podcast by going to www.landofthegoldensunset.podbean.com. John Hume bravely took the first step into the political arena in Northern Ireland and went before the electorate in March 1969, seeking a mandate on moderate issues and the principle of civil rights. He had unbelievable success, polling a total of 8,920 votes as a civil rights member. His popular support helped to destroy the unionist gerrymandering in Derry, which was used by them to maximize the effect of supporters' votes and to minimize the effect of opponents' votes. And this change inevitably led to Stormont being prorogued in March 1972. John Hume was born in 1937 into a working-class Catholic family in Derry, the eldest of seven children of Annie Nee Doherty, a seamstress, and Samuel Hume, a shipyard worker, He had a mostly Catholic Irish background, though his surname derived from one of his great-grandfathers, a Scottish Presbyterian who migrated to County Donegal. Hume attended St. Cullum's College and went on to St. Patrick's College, Maynooth. John Hume did not complete his clerical studies, but obtained an MA degree in French and History from the college in 1958 and then returned home to his native Derry, where he became a teacher. He was a founding member of the credit union movement in the city and was chair of the University for Derry Committee in 1965, an unsuccessful fight to have Northern Ireland's second university established in Derry in the mid-1960s. John Hume became the youngest ever president of the Irish League of Credit Unions at the age of 27. He served in the role from 1964 to 1968. He once said that, All the things I have been doing, it's the thing I'm proudest of because no movement has done more good for the people of Ireland, north and south, than the credit union movement. John Hume became a leading figure in the civil rights movement in the late 1960s. He was a prominent figure in the Derry Citizens Action Committee. The DCAC was set up in the wake of the 5th of October 1968 march through Derry, which had caused much attention to be drawn towards the situation in Northern Ireland. The purpose of the DCAC was to make use of the publicity surrounding recent events to bring to light grievances in Derry that had been suppressed by the Unionist government for years. The DCAC unlike Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association, was aimed specifically at a local campaign, improving the situation in Derry for everyone and maintaining a peaceful stance. 
Terence O'Neill, 1914 to 1990, was Prime Minister of Northern Ireland when Unionists split over his tentative reforms at the 1969 general election and Ian Paisley's Protestant Unionist Party began to win by elections. From O'Neill's point of view, the 1969 general election was inconclusive. He was humiliated by his near defeat in his own constituency of Banside by Ian Paisley and resigned as leader of the UUP and as Prime Minister on the 28th of April 1969 after a series of bomb explosions on Belfast's water supply carried out by the Ulster Volunteer Force. This brought his personal political crisis to a head. He was defeated for his sin of meeting with the Southern Fenian, the Taoiseach, Sean Lemass. In an interview with the Belfast Telegraph, published on the 10th of May 1969, he stated, It is frightfully hard to explain to Protestants that if you give Roman Catholics a good job and a good house, they will live like Protestants because they will see neighbours with cars and television sets. They will refuse to have 18 children. But if a Roman Catholic is jobless and lives in the most ghastly hovel, he will rear 18 children on national assistance. If you treat Roman Catholics with due consideration and kindness, they will live like Protestants, in spite of the authoritative nature of their church. He retired from Stormont politics in January 1970, when he resigned his seat. On the 23rd of January 1970, he was created a life peer as Baron O'Neill of the Main, and he died in 1990. James Chichester Clark, 1923-2002, then became Premier of Stormont after his election as UUP leader. His term in office was dominated by both internal unionist struggles, seeing the political emergence of Ian Paisley from the right, and Alliance Party of Northern Ireland from the left, and an emerging Irish nationalist resurgence. On Tuesday the 6th of May 1969, Chichester Clark announced an amnesty for all offences associated with demonstrations since the 5th of October 1968, and this resulted in the release of, among others, Ian Paisley and Ronald Bunting. Then on Tuesday the 15th of July 1969, Chichester Clark mobilised the B-Specials. On Friday the 8th of August 1969, James Chichester Clark, the Northern Ireland Prime Minister, held a meeting with James Callaghan, the British Home Secretary in London. Callaghan agreed to an increase in the number of security force personnel it was also decided to allow the annual Apprentice Boys Parade to go ahead in Derry. The B-Specials, or Ulster Special Constabulary, was a quasi-military reserve special constable police force. It was set up in October 1920, shortly before the partition of Ireland. It was an armed corps, organised partially on military lines and called out in times of emergency, such as war or insurgency. It performed this role most notably in the early 1920s during the Irish War of Independence and the 1956-62 IRA border campaign. The B-Specials were almost exclusively Ulster Protestant and as a result were viewed with great mistrust. 
by the Catholics. In March 1971, with his health suffering under the strain of the growing political strife, James Chichester Clark resigned, having failed to secure extra military resources from the British government. Brian Faulkner, 1921-1977, came back into government as Minister of Development under Chichester Clark, and in a sharp turnaround began the implementation of the political reforms that were the main cause of his resignation from O'Neill's cabinet. Faulkner was elected leader of the Ulster Unionist Party and subsequently Prime Minister. In his initial innovative approach to government, he gave a non-unionist, David Blakely, a former Northern Ireland Labour Party MP, a position in his cabinet as Minister for Community Relations. In June 1971, he proposed three new powerful committees at Stormont, which would give the opposition salaried chairmanships of two of them. However, this initiative, although radical at the time, was overtaken by events. The shooting of two Catholic youths in Derry by British soldiers prompted the SDLP, the largest nationalist party and main opposition, to boycott the Stormont Parliament. The political climate deteriorated further when, in response to the worsening security situation, Faulkner introduced internment on the 9th of August 1971. This was a disaster. Instead of lessening the violence, it caused the situation to worsen. Despite this, Faulkner continued his radical approach to Northern Irish politics, and following David Blakely's resignation in September 1971 over the internment issue, he appointed Dr. G. B. New, a prominent lay Catholic, as Minister of State in the Cabinet Office. Faulkner's administration staggered on through the rest of 1971, insisting that security was the paramount issue. The entrenched people of Derry's bogside kept police and others holding their breaths for what would erupt into a major confrontation with the TV cameras of many nations reporting live the unrestrained ferocity of the police using CS gas on men, women and children while the youth of the area fought back with stones and petrol bombs. On the 30th of January 1972, an incident occurred during a Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association march in Derry, during which British paratroopers shot and killed 13 unarmed civilians. A 14th civilian was to die later. What history has come to know as Bloody Sunday was, in essence, the end of Faulkner's government. In March 1972, Faulkner refused to maintain a government without security powers, which the British government, under Edward Heath, decided to revoke. The Stormont Parliament was subsequently prorogued, initially for a period of one year, and following the appointment of a Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, William Whitelaw, direct rule was introduced just six weeks after Bloody Sunday, when the Unionist government refused to hand over responsibility for law and order to Westminster. In its 50-year history, only one piece of legislation was passed that was introduced by a Nationalist member, the Wild Birds Protection Act in October 1971. As the troubles worsened, Gerard New had been appointed as his junior minister at Stormont in an attempt to improve community relations. 
Fifty years after it came into existence, Gerard New was the first Catholic to serve in a Northern Ireland government, but because he was neither an MP nor a senator, his appointment could only last six months. The situation in other northern towns was hotting up also. Violence was now commonplace, and the conflict spread to all parts of the province. Belfast became a battleground for sectarian violence. Street by street, the fighting went on, with the Orange faction being supported by the B-Specials. The influence of the Orange Order in the governance of Northern Ireland was far-reaching. All of the six Prime Ministers of Northern Ireland were members of the Order, and were all but three Cabinet Ministers until 1969. Three of the Ministers later left the Order, one because his daughter married a Catholic, one to become Minister of Community Relations in 1970, and a third was expelled for attending a Catholic religious ceremony. Of the 95 Stormont MPs who did not become Cabinet Ministers, 87 were Orangemen. Every Unionist Senator, with one exception between 1921 and 1969, was an Orangeman. One of these Senators, James Guile, was suspended from the Order for seven years for visiting Nationalist MP Joe Devlin on his deathbed. On the morning of Monday the 9th of August 1971, the security forces launched Operation Demetrius the main focus of which was to arrest and in turn suspected members of the Provisional IRA Republican Army. The Parachute Regiment was selected to carry out the operation. The operation was chaotic and informed by poor intelligence, resulting in a number of innocent people being interned by focusing solely on Republicans. It excluded violence carried out by Loyalist paramilitaries. Some nationalist neighbourhoods attempted to disrupt the army with barricades, petrol bombs and gunfire. In the Catholic district of Ballymurphy, 10 civilians were shot and killed between the evening of the 9th of August and the morning of the 11th of August, while another died of heart failure. Members of the parachute regiment stated that they were shot at by Republicans as they entered the Ballymurphy area and returned fire. The press officer for the British Army stationed in Belfast, Mike Jackson, later to become head of the British Army, includes a disputed account of the shootings in his autobiography, stating that those killed in the shootings were Republican gunmen. This claim was strongly denied by the families of those killed in the shootings, and the claim was found to be without basis by a later coroner's inquest, which established that those killed were entirely innocent. Bloody Sunday, or the Bogside Massacre, happened on the 30th of January 1972 when British soldiers shot 26 unarmed civilians during a protest march in the Bogside area of Derry. 14 people died, 13 were killed outright, while the death of another man four months later was attributed to his injuries. Many of the victims were shot while fleeing from the soldiers, and some were shot while trying to help the wounded. Other protesters were injured by shrapnel, rubber bullets or batons. Two were run down by British Army vehicles and some were beaten. All of those shot were Catholics. The march had been organised 
by the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Association to protest against internment without trial. The soldiers were from the 1st Battalion of the Parachute Regiment, one para, the same battalion implicated in the Ballymurphy Massacre several months before. The paratroopers arrived in Derry on the morning of the march and took up positions, led by Major Ted Loden, who commanded the company to launch the arrest operation. The protesters planned on marching from Bishopsfield in the Craigan Housing Estate to the Guildhall in the city centre, where they would hold a rally. The march set off about 2.45pm and there were between 10 and 15,000 people on the march, with many joining along its route. The march made its way along William Street, but as it neared the city centre, its path was blocked by British Army barriers. The organisers redirected the march down Rossville Street, intending to hold the rally at the Free Derry Corner instead. However, some broke off from the march and began throwing stones at soldiers manning the barriers. The soldiers fired rubber bullets, CS gas and used water cannon. Such clashes between soldiers and youths were common and observers reported that the rioting was no more violent than usual. Some of the crowd spotted paratroopers occupying a derelict three-storey building overlooking William Street and began throwing stones up at the windows. At about 3.55pm, these paratroopers opened fire. Civilians Damien Dunahy and John Johnson were shot and wounded while standing on waste ground opposite the building. These were the first shots fired. The soldiers claimed Dunahy was holding a black cylindrical object, but the Savile inquiry concluded that all those shot were unarmed. At 4.07pm, the paratroopers were ordered to go through the barriers and arrest rioters. The paratroopers, on foot and in armoured vehicles, chased people down Rossville Street and into the bogside. Two people were knocked down by the vehicles. There were many claims of paratroopers beating people, clubbing them with rifle butts, firing rubber bullets at them from close range, making threats to kill and hurling abuse. The Savile report agreed that soldiers used excessive force when arresting people, as well as seriously assaulting them for no good reason while in their custody. One group of paratroopers took up position at a low wall about 80 yards in front of a rubble barricade that stretched across Rossville Street. There were people at the barricade and some were throwing stones at the soldiers, but were not near enough to hit them. The soldiers fired on the people at the barricade, killing six and wounding a seventh. A large group of people fled and were chased into the car park at Rossville Flats. This area was like a courtyard, surrounded on three sides by high-rise flats. The soldiers opened fire, killing one civilian and wounding six others. This fatality, Jackie Duddy, was running alongside a priest, Edward Daly, when he was shot in the back. Another group of people fled into the car park of Glenfather Park, which was also surrounded by flats. Here the soldiers shot at people across the car park, about 40 to 50 yards away. Two civilians were killed and at least four others wounded. The Savile report says it is probable that at least one soldier fired randomly at the crowd from the hip. The paratroopers went through the car park and out the other side. Some soldiers went out the southwest corner, where they shot dead two civilians. 
the other soldiers went out the southeast corner and shot four more civilians, killing two. About ten minutes had elapsed between the time the soldiers drove into the bogside and the time the last of the civilians was shot. More than 100 rounds were fired by the soldiers. No warnings were given before soldiers opened fire. Some of those shots were given first aid by civilian volunteers, either on the scene or after being carried into nearby homes. They were then driven to hospital, either in civilian cars or in ambulances. The first ambulances arrived at 4.28pm. The three boys killed at the rubble barricade were driven to hospital by paratroopers. Witnesses said paratroopers lifted the bodies by the hands and feet and dumped them in the back of their armoured personnel carrier as if they were pieces of meat. The Savile report agreed that this is an accurate description of what happened, saying that paratroopers might well have felt themselves at risk, but in our view this does not excuse them. Two investigations were held by the British government. The Widgery Tribunal, held in the aftermath, largely cleared the soldiers and British authorities of blame. It described some of the soldiers shooting as bordering on the reckless, but accepted their claims that they shot at gunmen and bomb throwers. The report was widely criticised as a whitewash. The Savile Inquiry, chaired by Lord Savile, was established in 1998 to reinvestigate the incident much more thoroughly. Following a 12-year investigation, Savile's report was made public in 2010 and concluded that the killings were unjustified and unjustifiable. It found that all those shot at were unarmed, that none were posing a serious threat, that no bombs were thrown at the soldiers who knowingly put forward false accounts to justify their firing. The soldiers denied shooting the named victims, but also denied shooting anyone by mistake. On publication of the report, British Prime Minister David Cameron formally apologised. Following this, police began a murder investigation into the killings. One former soldier was charged with murder, but the case was dropped two years later when evidence was deemed inadmissible. Bloody Sunday came to be regarded as one of the most significant events of the Troubles, because so many civilians were killed by forces of the state in view of the public and the press. It was the highest number of people killed in a shooting incident during the conflict and is considered the worst mass shooting in Northern Ireland history. Bloody Sunday fueled Catholic and Irish nationalist hostility to the British Army and worsened the conflict. Support for the Provisional IRA rose and there was a surge of recruitment into the organisation, especially locally. The Republic of Ireland held a national day of mourning and huge crowds besieged and burnt down the British Embassy in Dublin. The government of the Republic of Ireland became very concerned when they saw the TV footage of the running battles being fought out on the streets of the cities and towns in Northern Ireland. The Taoiseach of the time, Jack Lynch, went on RTE television in Dublin to broadcast a message to the beleaguered people who might not be accepted in hospitals in the north. And the Irish army set up a field hospital in Letterkenny, near Derry. This humanitarian gesture had the effect of goring the Protestant factions who set out in their hundreds on the rampage, burning whole streets in Catholic areas, fully convinced that the Fenian bastards 
were about to take over Ulster. Following the first visit to Northern Ireland by James Callaghan, then British Home Secretary, on the 29th of August 1969, a communique on behalf of the Stormont and British governments was released. This statement set out a number of further reforms, mainly in the area of government administration. The Cameron Report into Disturbances in Northern Ireland was published on Friday the 12th of September 1969. This inquiry had been set up on the 15th of January 1969. James Callaghan, the British Home Secretary, made a second visit to Northern Ireland between the 9th and 10th of October 1969. Following meetings between Callaghan and the Stormont government, plans for further reforms were agreed and a statement was released which covered the establishment of a central housing authority, reforms to the Royal Ulster Constabulary in the light of the Hunt Report, and reforms to the legal system and the issue of fair employment. Played 
last in a long 